seated. Um, want, uh, ran across this uh, video about a week or two ago that sort of summarizes where we're, where we've been in this series of looking at the Holy Spirit and also where we're going. So, um, if you can find this uh, online at a little place called the Bible Project. Um, but, uh, just want to share this with you to, if you haven't been here, sort of catch you up and give you a little teaser of where we're headed. If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you. Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That, too, is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation. And share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, 
The spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. All right, so today um, we're going to focus particularly on that baptism scene, um, on where uh, Jesus comes before John the Baptist and and it's baptized, and there you see this um, divine cooperation between God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to bring about these essential perfect steps in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and we find that in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 11. Uh, you can turn to your pew Bible or follow along on the screen. It's on page 784 in your pew Bible or whatever else uh, you want to look at. But Matthew 3, verse 11. Let's pray. Now, Almighty God, we ask now that your uh, Holy Spirit, who lives within us, will uh, continue to bring to mind um, uh, your... uh, uh, the, the way your word applies in our lives individually and together. Um, uh, show us uh, um, your power. Show us your love and your beauty and the life that you bring. And the, the, the ministry that you have um, given um, to us. Speak to us. Empower us in every way. Let us hear from you in mind, heart, and soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Um, uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Now, this is John the, the baptizer, who is the, the, the person uh, that came as sort of the trumpet to, to announce that Jesus was coming. He's the, the, the one that will be speaking here, and he's about to baptize Jesus, which we'll walk into. All right. So, John speaking. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so the first thing to notice is in this interaction of John with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he's talking about how his baptism is different than Jesus. You know, that John baptizes baptism of repentance, and Jesus comes to baptize with spirit and fire. What 
exactly is he getting at here? What What is the, the distinction then between John and Jesus' baptism? Well, uh, first, uh, understand baptism. You know, the, what baptism means, it was a word that was used for cleansing, for um, dunking, for um, uh, uh submerging, plunging something in, you know, that you would, like you would do with something that was dirty, you would plunge it under the, the water in order to, to cleanse it. That's what the word baptize meant. And it was then borrowed in religious context for uh, like religious cleansing. So for, for John, he says this is a baptism of repentance. So for him, the, the baptism, and, and now the, the word repentance means to turn around. So repentance means I'm going this way, and when I repent, then I turn and go this way. That I believe this is the wrong way, the wrong direction for me, so repentance means I turn now and go this way. So John is one where people would come, and they're, they're plunged into that repentance, that where they say, this is wrong, and now this is right. But Jesus comes with a baptism, not just of repentance, but a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. So he, he's going to come and baptize us, plunge us into the Holy Spirit. He's going to dunk us into the Holy Spirit. Anyone that is in him, so not only is it one of repentance where we say this is the wrong way, now this is the right way, now he gives us now the power within us not only to repent, not only to believe, but then also to act in a way of living in the life that God has for us. We are plunged into the Holy Spirit, given the power then to live with God. So what's the fire part? I think the baptism of fire is judgment. I think he means Jesus is going to bring every person to a decision point of life or death, of heaven or hell, of receiving God's forgiveness or denying it. I think there's as many ways as I'd like to read it some other way. I can't because verse 12, I think he gives explanation to what the fire means. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So let's hang here for a minute, as uncomfortable as it is. That Jesus comes with a baptism. And sort of what said was getting at. We, that we can take for granted. And we forget that, that we're going the wrong way. And in our own power, we can't even turn around, let alone follow Jesus. Let alone be with God. That if it weren't for Jesus... We would be stuck in our sins, destined for separation from God and the unquenchable fire of his judgment. And Jesus comes and his baptism submerges us in the spirit so that not only do we see our sin and repent and turn to him and receive his forgiveness and in the power of his spirit lead a life that is growing in transformation. Lead a life that is with God now and forever. That 
is the baptism that Jesus brings that is life or death, heaven or hell. We're either playing with God or we're playing with the devil. That's what John is telling us here. And this, the Holy Spirit ministry then in the church of Jesus Christ is now one that continues baptizing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Calling people to live for God and with God now and forever. I have to confess, I forget this. I take it for granted. Too said, you know, you, you get so focused on, well, we just gotta be the church. We gotta do the church thing. You know, we gotta gather. We gotta do what we're, we're doing. Yeah, we gotta preach a sermon. Okay, well, I want to be sure that everybody understands it and that it likes it and it's in the right. Well, wait a minute. I get, you get so caught up in that you forget this is the words of life and death forever. That we are destined to judgment from God left to our own devices. That unquenchable fire is the option if we reject Jesus. But life with God is what we receive in Him through the power of His Holy Spirit now and forever. I mean, that is, as the video said, that is God's presence that now we are submerged in because of Jesus' grace and mercy. Jesus doesn't baptize us. He doesn't baptize us in some nice advice and suggestions for improvement, for better living. He he doesn't baptize us in being just a a, a nice church that will make our life better. No, he baptizes us in the very presence and power of the one who is life and breath, who created, brought chaos out of the void and brought life out of nothing. He baptizes us into his power. He submerges us into him that we will live in him and with him now and forever. That we might live in the power of a pure God, in the joy of the Lord, and life with Him forever. Alright, next then, Jesus is baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Him. So John describes the difference between John's baptism and what Jesus is going to start here. That we're now submerged in the very presence of God Himself. And two things I want to capture here. So Jesus comes to John, says, all right, so now I need you to baptize me. Well, John just said, well, I just got through saying that my baptism is just repentance. Yours is in the Holy Spirit. Why are you going to waste your time being baptized by me? I, I, I don't need to be, I don't need to be baptizing you, Jesus. You need to be baptizing me. I don't even have the, the wherewithal to carry your shoes, which was, uh, menial, Work of one of the lowest grade slaves for people of wealth. They were basically the shoe bag. Yeah, and John said, "I I can't even carry your shoes." And this was before the day of Gucci and uh, Bashami or uh, Jordans. Yeah, this is before the day of that. I mean, these were just a few sandals, maybe with a jewel on it or two. And what I want to capture here with John is his humility. 
His recognition of his place before Jesus. Particularly for, as a church, for folks that are um, followers of Jesus, that, that we follow in John the Baptist's footsteps. You know, we're, we're the ones that come along and just, and point to Jesus. That the Spirit lives in us for one purpose, so that we in our lives will point to Jesus. And, and John gets that really well. He comes in an utter submission to Jesus. He takes no credit, wants no spotlight. He wants to be sure that the spotlight is tighter and brighter on Jesus. And he says um, a, a little later, he says, I must decrease so that Jesus will increase. And, and the Holy Spirit does exactly the same thing. John, Jesus tells us later on, uh, as when he's about to be crucified, he says, now the Holy Spirit's going to come, but the Holy Spirit's job, he doesn't do anything, the Spirit doesn't do anything in his own volition, in his own choice. He, he only does what the Father tells him to do, and he doesn't draw attention to himself, he draws attention to me, Jesus says. Everything that the Holy Spirit does points at Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't even draw attention to himself. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to Jesus. Now, there's really just a little application here. One is that uh, we in the church have to be sure that we are not making heroes of other people. We've got to be sure that we're not doing that. And it's easy to do. Now, I have to be really honest. I like being a hero. I like being admired or respected or listened to. But it's sort of easy when you've got the book in your hand and the mic on your mouth. And I can choose what I portray to you that may even make you think, man, he's wise or smart or He's good or, or holy. Well, if you think that, just go talk to my wife or my kids or go talk to people on staff at the church. You know, they've been with me long enough. They know that's not the case. But I like it. And that temptation is great. But that sin is abominable. Because it would draw your attention to me instead of Jesus. And that doesn't give life, but death. If in any way our attention is drawn from Jesus. That all that we do when we're up here, I said, said at the very beginning. All that we do when we lead in, in music or in, in, in teaching or in praying, it, it is in the power of the Spirit to point us. To fall down at the feet of Jesus. Who gave his life so that we might have life. So that we'd be freed from the unquenchable fire. And not only be freed from that, but live into the fullness of life as we live in the Holy Spirit power. Now, the other thing then, so Jesus is, is baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you see John, but then also, maybe he's got a question or two. Wait a minute. 
Jesus is God the Son, right? I mean, he is God in, in, uh, in, in the flesh. And so why does he need the Holy Spirit to come upon him? Some of you were asking that question. That's a really good question. And what that gets into, gets into the other mystery of the faith. You know, this, one thing about this series is it gets us into the, the two major mysteries of the faith. We've, we've faith. We've talked a lot about the Holy, about, about the Trinity. God being three persons yet one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, this gets into the, the nature of Jesus who is, has two natures yet is one person. That Jesus is a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. And what we call the incarnation, that he comes in the flesh. So this is now God in the flesh. Well, how does that work? Well, again, it's another mystery of the faith, but we affirm what the scripture teaches, which is his divinity and his humanity in their fullness. And really what he shows in his life, as we'll see, is what it means to be perfectly human and live in complete submission to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit through him. Now, we we can see that Jesus, yeah, so he is God. He's God in the flesh. But when he became human, he had to relinquish a number of things that were about, that that pertain to his divinity. You know, because now he had become a baby. He had to be born. We're told that the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary and then he was born. So God, the son, had to be born and then he had to be held and then he had to be had to have diapers. He had to, to sleep and to eat and to poop. All these things God was doing in the flesh. Yeah, that's just sort of weird even to think about it, isn't it? But that's what God did in the incarnation. That's who Jesus is. And so he, he also had to grow. He had to grow intellectually. He had to grow emotionally. He had to grow physically. God in the flesh. So what I propose to you in the fullness of his humanity, the Holy Spirit had to come upon Jesus so that he could demonstrate the power of God in the signs and wonders, in the miracles and the healing. It wasn't because he was superhuman. It was because the Holy Spirit dwelled in him. That then enabled him through the rest of the, the, the story in the Gospels to carry out the powerful signs and wonders. And this is really the challenging sort of scary part here. That same spirit lives in you and me. That same powerful spirit lives in you and me. The same spirit that enabled Jesus in the fullness of his humanity to carry out these acts of power lives in us. And what I fear for us as as the church, what I fear for myself, what I, I don't even fear it. I know it. I confess it. Again, I forget that power as well. And I just like enough of God's power to sort of keep me safe. Comfortable. You know, doing some things that are, you know, edgy and that kind of stuff, but, you know, not too far. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I, uh, I work hard. I don't sit around drinking iced tea and popping fried okra, which is my preference of what I'd like to do. 
just like you. You know, we, we, we work hard, but we still can get caught playing it safe. More, maybe the greatest, the greatest temptations here are hurry and worry. That limit me listening and abiding by the Spirit's pokes, the Spirit's prods in my daily life. You know, one is it's just as I'm going and uh, the, the spirit puts on my heart, there's somebody to go talk to. There's a conversation to be had with, with this with this person. Well, you know, one is I'm in a hurry. I, I got an appointment here, an appointment there. And, and I, I don't I don't have time to go and listen to that. So I'm going to go this way. Or the, the fear of, of stepping into the illness of our world, whether it's a real disease or whether it's a social illness or malady, whether it has to do with sexism or racism, ageism, whatever it might be, whatever the ism is where there is death instead of life. I'll stick in there a little bit, but I don't want to stay. Because that can be scary because that's messing with real evil stuff in our world. I'd rather play it safe. But if the Spirit, same Spirit that's in Jesus, is in us, then He's going to call us to not play it safe, but to play with Jesus. To pursue Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just give us a little bit of the Spirit. He plunges us into the depth of the very Spirit of God. That's not, this isn't magic. There's no trick. There's no secret words. There's no secret prayer here. It's simply a life given to dependence and unguarded willingness to go where the Holy Spirit leads and to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. It's that unguarded part. That's the hard word because I, I, I want to be guarded. I want to be guarded with the the Spirit that I can pick and choose what God and His Holy Spirit is leading me to do. But in so doing, in in so doing, I'm denying the power of the Spirit and the leading of the Spirit in my life. And if you do the same, so are you. This is a a powerful picture here of the, the Trinity. You know, of God the Son in the flesh being baptized, God the Holy Spirit then coming upon him, now fully empowering him in the fullness for ministry and for continued growth and maturity. Because in the fullness of his humanity, he still had to mature and grow. And then the voice from the Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if we are baptized, plunged in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit then lives in us. If we are in Jesus, if we are clothed in Jesus, the reason we are now before God and can be with God now and forever is because we are clothed in His righteousness, not our own. Well, then when God the Father sees Jesus, He sees us. So the same thing He says to Jesus then, He says to you and me. You are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. 
And then he sends us out into to triumph and, and victory. Sends us out to the, the victor's stand. Not yet. See where he sent Jesus? That's why I included that first part of the passage there. That he, the Holy Spirit now leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The, the Holy Spirit now is the one that leads Jesus into the scary jungle to face the evil monster of the devil. And I think, though, this is great news. This is what he's showing you and me with that same spirit within us. As he sends us out into the world, into the brokenness of the world, he has given humans the capacity in the power of his Holy Spirit even to deny and reject the devil himself and the evil that is around us and will lead us forth in life Preparing us, maturing us, growing us for the fullness of ministry. To, to carry out, to demonstrate. Man, maybe the greatest wonder that you'll ever show anybody is that you'll turn from a, a selfish person into one who serves at your own expense. One who loves others, even if it hurts you. Or maybe there'll even be other Powers and signs and wonders that the Spirit will show in us in the midst of evil and rebellion. I think from the, the fullness of this, as we look, as what we see in Jesus is one who has, and we see in John the Baptist and we see in Jesus a total dependence and reliance upon God. That's really our prayer. Our charge, you know, that, that unguarded willingness to go where the Holy Spirit says go, to do what the Holy Spirit is prodding us to do. So may our prayer this week be, God, will you help me be open to your Holy Spirit? Help me overcome the hurry and worry that can distract me or detain me and give me the courage to go where the Holy Spirit says go, to do what the Holy Spirit says do. And then watch His transforming power in in you and through you, wherever that may be. He has submerged you in His Spirit and now sent us out to be signs and wonders, to trust in His power, even over the devil himself. Amen.